Pham started the 2023 season on the Mets after signing a one-year $6 million deal with them, and he was damn good. In his first 79 games with the Mets, Pham hit almost 270 with an OPS over 800, an OPS plus of 124, which is 24 points above league average, connecting for 10 home runs, stealing 11 bases. I mean, he was a really nice, solid player for the Mets, a Mets team that, of course, was not so solid as a whole, trading Pham at the deadline to the D-backs. Since getting traded away from Queens, he has recently spoken out against the Mets players. Earlier this year, after getting swept by the Braves in Atlanta, Pham and a few of his Mets teammates, including Francisco Lindor, had dinner together at a Brazilian steakhouse, Fogo de Chao, in Pittsburgh, discussing things they could do and things they needed to improve on as a team. I love Fogo de Chao, by the way. Just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, according to the site The Athletic, the conversation started when Pham brought up that he wanted the Mets to have more than one batting practice group because he used the time to work on live reads in the outfield. Pham felt comfortable sharing this with Lindor after he observed and realized how often some players were in the clubhouse playing games like pool instead, literally saying to Lindor at one point during this conversation in dinner, and I quote, out of all the teams I played on, this is the least hardworking group of position players I've ever played with. And according to Pham, Lindor and the other players he was eating with were open to listening to what he had to say, understanding where he was coming from and open to talking about it, adding on that he had a lot of respect for guys like Francisco Lindor. Lindor, Pete Alonso, and Brandon Nimmo. So there wasn't any bad blood between Pham and Lindor. In fact, Lindor himself even told The Athletic that before Pham officially left to join the Diamondbacks after getting traded, he told Pham, hey man, thank you for teaching me how to work hard again. So you gotta wonder who Pham was calling out in particular, considering he respected the veteran position players on the team. I would assume it's pretty clear he was not impressed with the younger players' work ethic. Mets manager Buck Showalter was asked about Pham's comments, to which he said that Tommy's entitled to his opinion, what works for one player may not work for another, but that he sees the work his players put in every day, adding on that Tommy's had a good year and they wish him well. So, not that there's necessarily bad blood or anything between Pham and the Mets, and perhaps maybe he even had a point. Maybe he was spot on and the Mets position players were more on the lazier side other than the veterans. Whatever the case is, the 2023 Mets clearly didn't work. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons, and maybe the position players not working as hard and putting as much time before the game in batting practice and on the field as Tommy Pham preferred them to do had a little something to do with it, or not. But add yet another thing to the list of why Tommy Pham is in the news, and some love him, a lot hate him for it. All right, we're back. So I want to thank, so you heard that clip coming in. Um, this was a clip from YouTube basically summarizing the Tommy Pham saga. And I wanted to, in case you were on, living under a rock or checked out of Mets baseball and you're checking back in, I wanted to have something, some kind of audio that summarized the Pham situation. Because there's not a lot of audio. There's a lot of written word. You know, Pham is not a guy I think that talks a hell of a lot. Uh, I mean, look, when he did the athletic story, Back when he was still at the Mets, he had to record the segment with the reporter. I don't know if it was Will Salmon that he did it with or Britain. It was one of those guys. I think it was Salmon. He recorded the segment because he wanted to make sure he wasn't misquoted. Uh, so he's a little bit paranoid, and I understand that. You know that kind of stuff happens, and you know, fam, uh, you know, has every right. You know, he's had some difficult things happen to him, you know, off the field and whatnot. So anyway, putting that aside, I want to thank iTalk Studios YouTube account. If you want to subscribe to him, I want to give him credit for that clip 
as he did a nice job uh, summarizing the Tommy Pham situation. So this is kind of the story that doesn't die. You know, it came out when they were profiling Pham, and Pham had talked about to The Athletic that the Mets' positional players were the least hardest-working team he's ever been on. You heard the citation of maybe a little bit too much ping-pong in the clubhouse or video games or whatnot. And look, I'm not in the clubhouse, and Buck disagreed, and I have a hard time believing somebody like Buck Showalter, who has been in the game a long time, managed the team a year prior to 100-plus wins, a team that was very professional, a team of grinders, uh, a team that had extremely strong work ethic and focus and preparation. To the point, I still remember that big Atlanta win in July when they took two out of three from the Braves. Uh, it was either just before or just after the All-Star break when Chris Bassett was on the mound on, a, I think, a Wednesday or Thursday afternoon. And Buck had said that it was the, the clubhouse was a team that he has never seen a team that wanted to win a game so much as that team wanted to that day. And and to me, that was the synopsis of the 2022 Mets that they went out, they put their, their, their nose to the grindstone and achieved. Now, some things changed as they got late in the year. Um, and I don't know if that was effort based or they just weren't good enough because sometimes that happens. So I don't think Buck lost it, What I think Tommy Pham had talked, you know, was talking about, and I'll go back to the first segment when I was explaining how Buck was trying to explain to Tommy Pham how the analytics department was, um, you know, doing predictive outcomes as a way to make the lineup. Basically, take a Stratomatic Baseball simulating the game a thousand times and say, oh, this is the lineup we should do. This is what's going to happen. And, and I wrote about this to a certain degree in the column uh, at the Substack this morning when I talked about people who are angry that we're not seeing any of the 100-win teams in the postseason, we're at a point in sports, and this is all sports, where because of all the access to numbers, we feel we kind of know what's going to happen. Part of that is gambling. You see it during the game. You know, the odds. I mean, the other day I was watching the Knicks game, and I guess midway through the game they had the over-unders change, and I was like, ah, that seems like a high over-under. And sure enough, it was right. I think the over-under was 241. I think the, the final over in the game was 246. I think that that was the, when they played Atlanta the other day. So I know Vegas gets it right a lot. And I know that there is with AI now and all the stuff that we, uh, with really smart people, really talented people, we're blessed as a society to have so many resources in front of us in 2023 that we couldn't even dream about even just 10 years ago. But... It is still a game, to quote Joe, Joe Torrey, played with a heartbeat, played by human beings. And anything could happen. And you have no idea how said player is going to perform. Now, going back to my point here, Tommy Pham is a perfect example. Tommy Pham profiles as an overachiever. Tommy Pham was a 16th round pick in 2006 by the Cardinals. He really didn't get a chance to really play at, at any kind of consistent way and not be sent down until uh, 2017 when he overperformed and had a 144 OPS plus an OPS over 900 a guy that walks gets on base has some pop I mean he was you know even though he had great minor league numbers up and down the Cardinals system uh, he never really was given a chance now why you know I don't really want to get into that there could be a myriad of reasons you know the Cardinals have had obviously a lot of good teams and a lot of talented players so maybe he was just stuck there but a lot of times and I've said this to you guys a lot having been around uh, those who work in uh, uh, for you know, baseball organizations, you know, a lot of times when you're not a high draft pick, 
you're always going to be put aside. They're always going. There's politics. The guys who are the top draft picks that scouts and executives put their names to are always going to get first, second, and third chances. Whereas a Tommy Pham, who's a later pick, was looked at as fungible or organizational filler, even though maybe the numbers and the talent on the field didn't indicate that. I mean, I've said this before. A lot of times, players' careers could go a completely different way just with opportunity. I go back to Darren Reed, a guy that always hit in spring training, was stuck with the Mets. Actually, they acquired him for the Yankees in the Raphael Santana trade. And Darren Reed never seemed to stick. And if he was able to be with any other organization back in the 80s and maybe even you know before he got a shot with the Expos in the 90s, maybe his career turns a different way. I actually had Darren Reed on my show many years ago. I have to go back and find that that segment because it was it was a good one. And I always always like the the player that has a great spring training out of nowhere. I've always said it's like the Darren Reed Award. So, you know, something like that. But anywho, um, you know, Tommy Pham is a guy that had to work and work and work and overcome obstacles just to get to the big leagues. And even though he's been in the big leagues now uh, quite a long time, he is, you know, this year was his 10th season. So congratulations. You've hit the holy grail of pensions as a ball player. Um, You know, he's never really 100% been looked at as an everyday force because he's had, you know, a couple of good seasons, one with Tampa, a couple with St. Louis, but then he's gone up and down Cincinnati, Boston, you know, but one of the reasons why the Mets brought him on, and I remember Buck talking about this before the season, was that his work ethic and his intensity was something that he wanted to add to the club. So maybe there was a component of sleepiness to this club that the Mets wanted to address, and that's why they brought Fam in. Now, that doesn't mean they're not working. That doesn't mean they're lazy. What I think it is is that when sometimes you're a professional baseball player and you have a routine, and baseball is about repetition, it's really what goes into being great is quite boring. Cal Ripken used to have a serious XM show many, many years ago, and he used to love asking players the routine because, like he said, the routine, and everybody knows this because I have a routine, I have a routine for the show, I have a routine to do my daily uh, way of living, and when I don't have my routine in exactly the way that I want it, I don't feel good that day, and ball players like that. It's about repetition. It's about getting your work in. It's about doing all the little things and practicing all the little things like infield and whatnot, and Sometimes you get so routine that maybe the intensity or the excitement or the enthusiasm or the open-mindedness that got you there, that made you great, goes away because you almost become like a robot. Now, part of FAM's indictment on the Mets, I believe, is a bigger issue with the sport. I think it was going back to where he just wanted to, and I think you heard in the clip, get a little more outf- you know, more batting practice in, you know, or maybe more outfield reps in. And a lot of times the problem is sports, because of load management, because of science that, you know, now you see the NBA saying, well, maybe load management doesn't work. I thought it was science. Well, now it's costing you money, so now the science doesn't make sense. That We're starting to see that come out. So it's starting to wonder, where are these studies and who are who's blessing off on them? And are are they as scientific as we think? But... A lot of it is less work, less reps, save it for the game, focus on video, focus on analytics, focus on non-physical work, which to me is never the right thing to do. 
look, there's a, a component of that that's truthful. Howard Johnson talked about it when David Wright was in the minor leagues. He worked so much that he started to slump a little bit. And I think the attributed part of it is that you're out there in a humid uh, Florida State League putting in all this time. And by the time you get to the game, you're, you're spent. That's not good. There is a balance to that. But it wasn't like they asked David to go in and start looking at video and excessive amounts of data on a spreadsheet. That's not what they're asking them to do. And I think because you're on a veteran team, guys who have done things a certain way for so long, were very confident in their routine and confident that if they just put their work in, the results will come. It could come off as dispassionate. And a guy like Pham could never, because of how his career path has taken him to where he is now, could never take anything for granted because he's the kind of guy, he's in his mid-30s now, he probably wants to get one more contract, and he and he will. Um, definitely will after his World Series performance. Um, you know, that's not who he is. Now, I think there's a lot that could be taken away from Fam and what he brought to the team, and it sounds like a Francisco Lindor took it very seriously. And Lindor had a great year, and now we find out Lindor was injured, and he played through it. So that doesn't sound like a lazy guy to me. I certainly don't think Peter Alonso's a lazy guy. I don't think Brandon Nimmo is. You know, remember, Brandon Nimmo had a herniated discs in his neck, so sometimes he needs to watch his work. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So a lot of what FAM is talking about, you know, each player has to be honest with themselves and say, what is my routine and what kind of work do I need to put in to be prepared to be the best version of myself is come 7, 10 p.m.? And those guys have to look in the mirror. Now, when you get paid, maybe some people don't care anymore. Wouldn't be the first time people get paid and get fat and lazy. I don't think that falls into the Nimmo category. I certainly don't think that's Pete's category. He's trying to get paid. Paid more. I mean, he's gotten paid to a certain degree, but big money. Uh, I never have seen Lindor, who plays every day, who could have taken with the fractured finger, could have taken time off in 2022, certainly could have taken more time off last year. And the only time he's really been out of the lineup since he's been here is when he had the oblique injury. And, I mean, that's, you can't play with that. That's a painful injury. And he came back pretty quick from that, too, less than a month. Think about that. So, you know, who is he talking about? Maybe it's the young players. It's not Alvarez. Alvarez, here's a guy, not only is he working hard on the one thing defense that he was not known for, but he's trying to learn how to do post-game interviews in English because he wants to um, matriculate his way into an American clubhouse. He wants to be part of the culture. Good for him. Good for him. I like to see that. I mean, that tells me a lot. So I don't know if it's fair to indict the Mets in the way Tommy Pham is. I think there are components of his work ethic 
that they that the modern player could take. I think the way the game is going, which is like I said, save it for the game, focus on the video, focus on the data, focus on the mental preparation. I think it just it's about balance, and I think that's the part of the game right now. We've swung so far another way that all you could hope is that as time goes on, you know, maybe we can see these uh, these teams balance out what they're asking these players to do. The problem is a lot of the young guys coming up through the minors, they're doing it a certain way that's less about on the field, more about the iPad. I mean, they don't do infield like... I mean, Keith Hernandez has talked about this on the broadcast. I'm not speculating here. They don't do infield like they used to do. I mean, there's a lot of things maybe that were done throughout the history of the game that didn't make sense now that you look back. You know, I'm not going to get into every nitty-gritty on that. But I think basic work, outfield work, infield work, extra batting practice, staying sharp physically will always supersede, in my opinion, anything that you could get from a video on an iPad, a data point about a pitcher's repertoire, or vice versa. So, and you know, and you look at the, the, I said in the first segment how Buck went to fam and he goes, why am I not in the lineup? I didn't sign up to sit on the bench here. I was supposed to play four days a week. And he's showing him predictive outcomes from the front office from God only knows what data scientists put that together and how they did it. And I got like, fam, screw this. You know, I'm a 16th round pick. I've worked my way up through the minors. I've had success. I could play. Let me prove it to you. And he did. Now, he, he leveled off to more of who he is, which is a battle league average, slightly below league average hitter when he went to Arizona. He's had a couple of good series. Once against the Dodgers, one against now in the World Series, had a big game a couple of nights ago. But, you know, I don't think these comments, which are important comments, and I think they should be taken seriously by Stearns. I think they should be taken seriously by the next manager, whether that's counsel or somebody else. I don't think they're as black and white as everybody's making them out to be. I think it's about balancing the type of work you're doing. It's about challenging yourself to look at your routine and make adjustments. Sometimes your routine becomes too routine. And maybe that's what he's talking about. And I don't know if a Tommy Pham is going to want to articulate that how easy it is to articulate that. We don't know how those quotes were parsed out. I know he's ticked off at Greg Joyce, the New York Post reporter who wrote the follow-up story. I mean, once he talked to The Athletic and did that story and said those words, he had to know this was going to be something they would latch on to either when they met up again in the postseason, which happened, or when he either resigns with the Mets or they play him again at some point or he comes to town in New York if he's an American League player and he's coming to the Yankee Stadium, they would come again. Now, I think the Mets, you know, I don't know if DJ Stewart is going to be their, their priority in the outfield. You know, you have Marte, you have Nimmo, you have the need for a corner outfielder. You know, Ken is a free agent fan. I would definitely look at a Tommy fan. Now, I, I think Tommy Pham is a guy that might get overpaid, and you might see some teams look at his postseason numbers. And when you look at his numbers conglomerately for 2023, look, 16 homers, 68 ribeyes, a 328 OPS. Uh, uh, on base, I should say, 111 OPS plus. Not bad. A good uh, component player. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's going to get overpaid on that. Uh, you know, his splits, uh, if you look for the entire year, uh, you know, uh, he brought him in. Uh, I'm trying to get this right now. Where's his splits going on here? Let's see. Uh, no, now the splits aren't available. I mean, he seemed to hit left-handed pitching pretty well. 
you know, for his career. Let me see if I can get his career numbers up here. Of course, when I want something, it's not available. That's usually the way it goes here with these, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like now I can't. It's amazing how this stuff works. I'm trying to get this and you guys are waiting. So career-wise, let's see. Can I get his career numbers here? You know, career-wise, you know, versus left-handers, you know, he's got an OPS uh, OPS over 8, 830. So, you know, he hits lefties well. I mean, he would be a really good player. You know, I don't know if he's going to want to play four times a week. I think Fam is going to be like, hey, I'm 35. You know, I got one more contract. I want to get paid and I want to play. I want to play every day. But I could see him getting, you know, two years, 20 million, something like that, maybe slightly more. I could see a team. I could even see a bad team or a team like Miami that's on a budget, sign him and give him a little bit more and then say, hey, if it doesn't work out or we're out of the race, we'll trade him, you know, because they have Solar as a free agent. So I-, I could see that happen. I could see his market getting a little bit expensive. But maybe the Mets should look into it. I would bring him back. It'd be interesting if he came back, and I wonder if this whole situation with the New York Post and, and how this story has kind of become – a bigger thing than maybe it was meant to be or should be. I wonder if that ship is, has left the yard at this point or that horses was the, the horses left the barn type of deal. So we'll have to see about that. So that was my context on the Tommy fam thing. I think it's, it's not as black and white as it's being reported. And that's what we do at this show. We try not to make things so black and white. Um, there's a lot of gray in the world. There's a lot of gray in baseball. And that's what we're here to try to parse through is the gray. So that's that. All right. You know, that's it. As I said in the open, I hope you give my newest venture that's connected to this show uh, a try. That's the Substack newsletter, substack.com slash at Talking Mets, no G. I really hope it's called Talking Mets Beyond the Mic, M-I-C. You could get it in the X profile or Twitter if you want me to call it that. You could email me and let me know if you like it on Twitter. We'll have some fun stuff. There'll be a seven-day free trial that if you uh, you know try sign up for free, you have the opportunity to try it for seven days and then you know see what happens. So I hope you give it a shot. And give me feedback. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. Good, better, and different. Look, if you think that I'm crazy doing this, hey, Mike, how dare you charge even one penny for anything? I understand. You know, I really, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we did the fan segment, and I told you I'd do some fan segments. I had my buddy Steve Keen. Uh, old Crane Pool Society, and, and, you know, we know each other for a long time, and somebody sent me a tweet and said, thought it was horrible. That's okay. I don't get it right all the time. But I work really hard to bring you content that I myself, if I were in your shoes, would want. And I hope that you understand that, and, and I'm open to all suggestions. And, and hopefully this this grows and builds just like the show. But by no means will the content here on this show take a hit. The show will stay the same. The show will always be free. It'll never be a charge show. I don't believe you should be charged for audio content. I think that's a road too far. And I'm going to do a, I'm going to work really hard. And, I, and, and if I don't do it, you could call me out on it where what you get on the newsletter is going to complement the show. It's not going to be another version of the show just charging you for. That's not the goal there. Um, obviously some of the conversations and topics as time goes on may bleed them their way in, but, um, I'm going to be pretty cognizant of it. So first article up the tournament era, why parody in baseball is a good thing. I got some other stuff coming up as the week goes on. We're going to look into Kodai Senga's season. I'm looking at a little bit of stuff about Pete Alonzo, some more Mets related stuff. The introductory one was more with the world series going on and all the talk about, Oh my God, this this crappy Diamondbacks team made the postseason. Eh, 
Are they as bad as you think? And is it as bad of a thing to have parity? And by the way, is there a big difference between 84 and 95 wins? Well, subscribe to the newsletter and find out. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Check me out on X at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram, No G, And check out, as I said one last time, the newsletter, Substack.com slash at No G. I am your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care.